0: in July every now and then. What do you think? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and we're looking at verse 4 tonight. We have finished the first three chapters of this book where we have shared doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And now we are getting into duty for the next three chapters. Our duty as children of God, and we'll read these verses in just a minute. We're on the first subject of our duty being unity. Before my dad became a Christian, he put everything of any value or importance in, in work. He, he, he told me several times he missed three days of work. In 40 years and and that's great that's the way anyone should be but it was just all about work with him to the point to where when he met another man uh, one of the first things he would ask them is what do you what kind of work do you do. And my dad was of the opinion that everyone ought to know a trade. Every man ought to know a trade and work with his hands. Uh, I think it's good to know that stuff. But I believe that, that God gives us all different kinds of positions to do all kinds of things. That was just my dad's opinion. But I'll never forget him meeting a man. And I was with him. I was a little kid. And he asked the man what he, what he did for a living, what his job was. And the man said, I'm a piano tuner. And nothing wrong with that, but with my dad's attitude and opinion of things, I could see what was going on on his face. He was trying to hold a straight face and there was a smirk just trying to bleed through. Maybe the man detected what my dad's attitude was. I don't know, but he wanted to let him know how good he was at his craft and the skill he had. Because he told my dad, you give me a tuning fork and you put 100 pianos in this room and I will have them all at the same tune, the same harmony. I will have all of those pianos together. They could be all playing at the same time and it's going to be the same tune. They're going to be in unity i have no idea how impressive that is in the world of pianos i don't know if any piano tuner could do that or if he was very special i don't know if that's impressive at all but to have a method to get 100 people in tune with one another that would be impressive you know i mean there's enough problems in Just within a marriage sometimes or or a family of five or something like that. You know, we we have trouble with this uh, getting along and being in tune with one another. There are many people who who struggle with this. We all struggle with this with one person or another. But God for his church has given us seven tuning instruments, if you will, So that we can be in unity one with another. We talked about our belief last week and we talked about our behavior, how how belief will dictate our behavior and behavior is something that can bring unity one with another. And God gives us a part in that. But now we're going to share seven things, seven pillars in the church, if you will, that bring unity One with another for us. It's exclusively for God's church. And thank God he has done that. Because if it was left up to our humanity. And our opinions. And well well, I think this or I think that. We would never reach a place of unity. So thank God for what he has done. That we might have unity in the church. By God's grace, we can have it. So, look with me, if you would, in verse 4, as we look at these seven Christmas presents to the church, if you will. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And father of all. Who is above all. And through all. And in you all. These things. Come from the work of God's hand. We can't produce unity. But God produces unity. Through the things. That he has given us. It's it's not something that is. Anything that we can come up with and make. And yet, just like last week, though we can't produce it, God gives us a part in it to be very sensitive to maintaining it. A church cannot operate properly as the Lord would have it to unless there is unity. It's something extremely important for you and I to keep in mind. We can be thankful unto God, and give him praise and reverence for these seven pillars that he's given to the church. And one of them here is one body. You take these two words, one body, and there are those who have gone to the extreme to speak of a doctrine of a universal church and that the church is invisible Let me just ask you this, how how is a leg in England going to be working and operating in unity with a foot that's in Oregon? It's that's not what this is talking about when it speaks. church. We're not talking about something that is invisible. The word church in the original language, it's a local called out assembly of baptized believers. And he's writing to a called out church at Ephesus. It's a local body and it's visible. It says here that what we have in unity, what we have in common here is one body. And if it's one body, it can't be uh, universal and invisible if it's local and it's visible it must be one or the other and some might say well you say this local called out assembly is one body but there are several local called out assemblies as in there are several bodies of you well this is a kind of body It's talking about and the kind of body that we are is a local called out assembly of believers. There is not any kind of discrediting of this assembly that we are because there are many. There's one body, one true body, but there's not only one body, there's one spirit. Speaking of something, there are many of there's more than one spirit. And there are spirits that you and I want to have nothing to do with. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. There are some spirits I hear about in religion and things that happen to you after a certain point in your religion. And I want to have nothing to do with that spirit So what do we mean here by one spirit? We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. One spirit for the believers in the church. There are some spirits we don't want to have anything to do with. But the spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit of God. We rely on the Holy Spirit of God. He lives within the believer. The spirit who has snatched us up from death. And quickened us with life in Jesus Christ when we've trusted him. This is the one spirit of God. The spirit we receive the moment that we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are all made alive by one spirit. Everyone that has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know you're born again. You are of the same spirit as me. The Holy Spirit lives in me and the Holy Spirit lives in every believer that is here. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit drew you, drew you to God's truth and you were saved. And the same Holy Spirit drew me, too. We, we have a lot in common here. We have great, very important reasons for Unity. By the Holy Spirit, he has for every one of us, he has convicted us, he has regenerated us, he indwells us, he seals us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise. The Bible says, be ye filled with the spirit. He fills us. He leads and guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit teaches every one of us and he has brought us into one Body, it's the Holy Spirit living within you and I that makes us very eager and effective in keeping the unity in desiring to do what God would have us to do, that there would be unity in the church. We are under a supernatural influence by way of the Holy Spirit. And when we are yielded to the Spirit of God, all of our natural differences are just set aside. There's something much more important than we have in common than anything that is different about us naturally. We will not have a, de- uh, a disagreeable attitude about minor quirks with one another when we are led supernaturally by the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit yielded to in our lives brings great unity in the church. God has he has created this. He has designed this to happen. And you and I can be a part of it by being yielded to one spirit. The the same spirit that's in every single believer in the Lord Jesus. Wow, that's saying a lot because we're talking about the power of a person that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And Romans chapter eight says that power... That person of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and I. And when we're yielded, when we're walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We're walking in unity. And God has created this and made this to happen. The greatest power that any of us could possess. We have it and we have it in common together in Christ. One spirit. One hope. You see that? It says in one hope. Hope. When we think of hope, the world uses it in a lot of ways. But as we think of one hope here that we have as children of God, this is not a hope that we have to put effort into Keeping this is not a I hope so kind of thing. This is not the kind of situation where there's something we're trying to do and we hope it happens. You've probably had this dialogue as you've witnessed to people before. And someone you've told someone, are you going to go to heaven when you die? And what have they said within the top five answers? One of them is, I hope so. I hope so. There's a problem there because that hope isn't this one hope that's given to the church, that's given to the believers. It's not, I'm trying to get there. It's not, I hope so. It's not uncertainty. This hope is actually opposite of that. It is an expectation. It's just something that's coming as far as our hope, who is Jesus Christ, Titus, In Titus, it says he is our blessed hope and he's coming. He's coming to get his people. He is our hope and we we know it. We rest in this hope. Anyone who says, I hope so and uses it in that sense. They're not of this hope. I don't know how it would come out of the mouth. Anything we might hope to get in this world or hope to keep in this world, there's no guarantee. There's no certainty to it whatsoever. That hope is nothing more than a wish. But there is one hope that is sure and it is rich in eternal worth and it's definite for us. And that is Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our blessed hope. uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ in you and I, it's something definite and it's something certain. We go to sleep with hope every night. And we wake up with that hope. We walk in hope as children of God. Death cannot disconnect us from our hope. I saw Jimmy White laying in the bed just not too many days ago. And then all of a sudden, death has taken him. But guess what? Hope never got severed. It never got broken. He he was ushered in to the presence of the fullness of His blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing severs our hope that we have in Christ. We walk daily in confident assurance in Christ. This is what God has given his children. And we all share this same hope in common. We share this when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as savior, we all received this same hope. We have believed in Jesus Christ and we believe what the Bible has told us about our Lord and Savior. We believe everything about him is true and he is our hope. That is our hope. He is the promise that has been given. To every single one of us. And we hang on everything about him as our hope. The same thing picks you and I up every day and propels us to continue on. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of a dark day, in the midst of of gloomy circumstances, we are able to keep on because of hope. You're able to press forward and I'm able to press forward because we have the same thing in hope in our Lord. It picks every single one of us up. We are going to keep on keeping on until our blessed hope comes to the clouds to take us home. We're all going to be raptured the same way. We all have this in common One with another, we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a deep, settled confidence that we share together, that we take throughout our lives every day that we have in common. One hope. How unifying is that? When we consider what we all share together in that, how about one Lord? How about this as a unifying pillar for the people of God? Jesus says, All power in heaven and in earth is given unto me. He, Jesus, is Lord. He isn't just Savior, He's Lord. I've heard people speak of a Christian who's maybe walking wayward and away from the things of God. Or maybe there's a great hypocrisy in their life. And someone would say of them, well, Jesus is their savior, but he's not their Lord. And I know what they, they mean by that, but that is actually not true. Because you can't separate Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Anyone who is saved will acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There is no separating Jesus as Savior From being Lord, he's boss, he's in charge, he's captain, he's master and he's teacher. Jesus is Lord that speaks of authority of which there is none greater. There is no greater authority than the Lord Jesus Christ. Buddha just doesn't have it. Allah, he's not Lord Muhammad, he's not Lord. Only Jesus is Lord. There is one Lord. And that's not for a certain group of people. That's not just for who hears it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Everyone needs Jesus as Lord. If anyone's going to have a Lord that's going to take them to heaven, it's going to be Jesus. If not, He was a liar or a lunatic. Because he says he dies he died for all. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way for everyone. You you think of all of the confused religions in the world. And I tell you boldly and I tell you confidently, they need Jesus Christ. And He is the only way. One Lord. We all have one Lord in the church. There's one Lord for everyone. If he's Lord, he ought to be obeyed. When we are in obedience to our Lord. How much unity does that bring? That tells a lot about us on our part. We look at all of these most important things. That we embrace in common. And it brings great unity when we walk in such a way with these things, it brings unity in the church. Jesus Christ has established leadership in his church, and he is the head of it all. And he is Lord. May we obey him. He who almighty God has highly exalted. Head of all the church. We share the same master in common with one another. One Lord. One faith. As we think of faith, what comes to your mind probably is probably what comes to my mind. Our belief. We, we have believed. We have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But that's not the only thing that faith means. Before our faith comes the faith. The faith is the body of truth that we believe. When Paul says, I have, kept, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. He's not saying, man, I, I, I have believed. I'm, I'm still believing and I've believed strong. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the revelation from God that he received and all the word of God that that God made him to know. And he used it and he evangelized and people were saved and churches were started and he helped out great leaders in the faith. And he he took that faith from God and it stayed pure. He didn't adulterate it and he brought it back to God when he went to be with the Lord the same way he received it. He didn't use the body of truth for his own agenda He didn't use it for himself. He didn't taint it in any way. He says, I have kept the faith. He's not talking about believing. He's talking about what he believed. When we talk about the faith in this sense, we're talking about what we believe. And within this body of truth is the gospel. The power of God unto salvation To everyone who believe it, believe it through Jesus Christ. Something else you've probably heard many say is that all roads lead to God or maybe look, many roads lead to God. That's not in the body of truth. You know, I'm not I'm not going to criticize and say you you shouldn't do apologetics you shouldn't study some other religions i'm not saying you can't do a little good with reaching someone that way but ultimately all we really need to know is the faith Amen. and then and then we will hear things and know they are not of the faith when we hear them we don't need to study them to know that we study this faith and we will know that one faith someone may have faith in the fact that many roads lead to heaven they may have they may be very sincere in their belief in that there are many ways to god they may have faith in that but our faith is only as good as what it's in so what what does that matter and what does that mean and as we think about that aren't you have Aren't you glad you have faith in this book? Aren't you glad that, that this is what your faith is in? Your faith is in the faith. We, we receive our faith from this faith, by the way. And thank God we have heard the truth and believed the truth. Paul writes to the church and the creating of unity and what brings unity. Another pillar in the church is. One baptism. We could really go around the world and talk about a a lot of things about baptism. There are a lot of people who are very, very confused about baptism. Baptism simply means immersion. And that is in water. it's, It's under the water, okay? And the authority... To baptize belongs to the church. That was given to the church and that authority was given nowhere else. I know two young men uh, 10, 15 years ago, they had some kind of religious emotional experience. And they, they said they couldn't deny it. First of all, that doesn't mean it was true. And of God. Try, try the spirits whether they be of God. And these two fellows went down to the creek. In their religious emotional experience. And they baptized each other. A lot of people oohed and odd over it. I wasn't impressed. Down the road. One of these young men. Submitted to true scriptural baptism. And understood that he could not. He could not use that as his identification as being baptized. But there's another one who's a young adult now walking around and he claims that baptism in the creek by his buddy as as his baptism and... And he won't be baptized in the church. He won't come be a part of the church. And of course, it's more than that one baptism. But it's very important for you and I to know that the authority to carry out baptism is given by the church. The preacher might go up in the baptistry and baptize a new believer. But the church votes for that to happen. The church is given the authority for that. Baptism is an outward thing. It's an outward illustrating of one's inner faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not some inward spiritual work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is separated from salvation. Paul was sent to preach the gospel, not to baptize. That separates them right there. We've already shared one spirit. Now this is one baptism. Written to a local called out assembly of believers. Who are commissioned to go you therefore. And teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There is one Christian baptism for the church and its immersion in water. It is symbolic of the glorious spiritual death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not part of salvation, but to come right after salvation. The first act of obedience would be great to be believers baptism to be baptized as a believer to not be baptized after being saved it is disobedience to the lord jesus went to john the baptist he said baptize me he said what do you mean you baptize me and jesus says it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness jesus himself was baptized baptism doesn't save but immediately after salvation it is a beautiful important moment of publicly identifying ourselves in Christ to the church what has happened on the inside we display it on the outside Peter says the like figure Whereunto baptism doth also now save. And a lot of people have made a big mess out of that verse. It made perfect sense when it was written at the time it was written. The like figure means an illustration. It means a picture. And so what he's saying there in First Peter 3:21 is that baptism is a picture of what saves you. And it's a beautiful outward ordinance that we all ought to be a part of after we're saved. There's one baptism. There's one God. One God and father of all who is above all and through all. And in you all. I had an old running buddy before I got saved. And after coming to Christ down the road, he heard about Jesus Christ and and the salvation that he provided, that that God gave his only begotten son and that. And if we, we believe on him, we'll be saved. And my old buddy said, let me say this. It's it's good to have faith in something. I believe everyone needs a belief in something. And he didn't say these words, but I know what he meant. He said, as long as they're sincere about what they believe, I think they're going to be alright when they die. A couple of years later, that same friend was crying and weeping to the Lord to save him from his sins. And then he died. within 24 hours of that happening. I'm glad he didn't have faith in faith. But he came to faith in one God. The true and living God... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are others who have been worshipped as a God. There are others who claim to be a God. And they died and they're dead. And they stayed dead. But our, our God rose from the grave. We have a true and a living God. He is the only God. He is the one God. I'm glad my friend abandoned his faith in faith. For the one God. The God of the Bible is the one true God. And the world calls him God. Not in the reverent proper way. But the world refers to God as God. But the children of God get to refer him as father. We don't just call him father. He is our father. By spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry Abba father. Or daddy father. Father. The relationship that we have with the one true God. I tell you what, there's none like him. There's none above him. There's no one equal to the one God. I know I know him. I'm glad you do too. Because there's only one that is true. And we share him in common. And there's no way to get away from him. Who would want to? His presence goes everywhere with us. One God and father of all who is above all and through y'all and in you all. His presence goes every single place we go. One God, one true God. If we would keep a grasp on that. That our God goes everywhere we go. How much better would things be for us? If we kept that in mind, how much greater would the unity be? There's no greater basis for unity than what we have simply shared here. This, this wasn't some three-point sermon to preach with some big closing. It was simply the truth of the seven pillars in the church. The most important things that bring unity For you and I. No other institution has this ability. No other institution has this access. Except for the Lord's church. We have learned our doctrine. We are rich in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his rich people he has given duty to. The unity that he has provided for you and I. That we would be ever so sensitive to it to realize that we are dysfunctional if we are not operating in unity. But the fact that we can, he has enabled us to and given us a part to be able to play in it. We're sensitive to many things as children of God. May we be ever so sensitive to the sweet unity and the amazing things that we all have in common one with another. Brother Rick Morris, would you close our Bible study in a word of prayer tonight, sir? So thankful, dear God, Lord, for our common salvation, dear God, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, Lord, um, each one of us that have come to that saving knowledge, and if we weren't so young that we have a hard time remembering, we we remember uh, our resistance probably at first to the gospel but uh, the love of people that allowed you to use them to attract us and encourage us and invite us to come back and the holy spirit loving us uh, through them and then the holy spirit using the word of god to convict us of our sins and yes. Lord god then you brought us to that point where we come to the realization of our absolute need of your son jesus and yes. Oh God, and then again.